you want to know a secret? I never wanted to be a copywriter. My dream was to be a magazine writer. I was voted girl most likely to write for smash hits when I was at school. I was featured editor for my uni newspaper, interviewing Blur and Bob Monkhouse, who I'm sure you'll have no idea who he is. I interned at several sexy music mags in London and was accepted on a very prestigious magazine journalism course, but I couldn't afford to go so I didn't go, and the rest is history. I spent the next 10 years wandering in the wilderness of digital production until I found copywriting, but I still yearn to be a real writer. And today we're talking about being a real writer, writing for magazines, and more specifically how to pitch them. And we have a very special guest on the show to give us a lowdown. Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, the podcast for copywriters, all about copywriting. My name is Kate Toon. I'm the copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School, which teaches you how to be a successful and happy copywriter. We have templates, courses, a job board, directory, a membership, and our annual conference, CopyCon. And this is when I would normally say hello from, to Belinda Weaver from Copyright Matters, but it's just little old me today and my guest, Rachel Smith. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Hello, Kate. I'm very well. <laughs> you go way back. I remember we met in a boardroom at eHarmony. I know. That was amazing. I was so, like, starstruck by you being in that boardroom. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's the Kate Tune. Uh, she actually fainted. We had to revive her, throw water. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, it's it's the Rachel Smith from Rachel I, I thought I thought like you were a fake. I thought you were like Rachel was going to be like a middle-aged man called Bernard instead. <laughs> Rachel, I am actually a real Rachel. I think there might even be a selfie of you and me knocking about after that day. Didn't we take one? We did. Yeah. Was that a baby, or, you, or were you heavy with child? Was I heavy with child? Maybe I was. I remember he's five now. Was that five years ago? Yeah. I haven't really been a copywriter for that long. I shouldn't say that. Uh, no, I've, you know, I haven't been, a, I wasn't, I was doing training then. I think I was training them on SEO copywriting or something. Yes, yes. Lots of fun though. I really enjoyed it. And that felt a bit like, this is a segue. Be alert, segue alert. That felt a bit like real writing because the blogs that we were writing for them were really kind of editorial and magazine-y and no disrespect to eHarmony, but they had no regard for SEO. So there was not even the element of kind of trying to work keywords through back then. That's what that's what we were working on to try and improve. Yeah. It felt like real writing. And and you, you were you were she was snorting with laughter as I did my intro. What's but, that? You know what I mean by being a magazine writer. Well, if you will, I mean, tell us your background. Let's let's start. Well, you know what? It's so funny. It is so funny listening to you talk about your dream to be a magazine writer because that was my dream as well. But I also had another little like dream on the side to be a copywriter and to be, you know, the whole Madman thing, the advertising agency. Of course, that was pre-Madman when I was at uni. Um, but I really, I loved the idea of being a copywriter, but I think I loved magazines more and I'd always wanted to, you know, be a journalist, be a writer. And yeah, and I worked my butt off. At uni, I was on both the newspapers, I was on the radio. Um, I pitched then actually at uni and um, got my first article published in a travel magazine. And then when I got out, I just worked for magazines and worked um, for computer magazines first. Then I went to London, worked on parenting magazines. 
then came back, did, dipped my toe into digital, got retrenched, became a freelancer. And then that was it. Yeah. So I just sort of started most of, most of the mags I worked on initially after I started freelancing were, um, at Bauer. Right. Pack mags back then. Yeah. 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 And, um, not pack mags. Sorry. That's wrong. It's not pack mags. It was, um, ACP magazines. Yeah. It means nothing to me because I'm not. (laughs) It'll mean something to any journos listening though. So that's, uh, Yeah. (laughs) And then when did you start Rachel's List? Because I remember you were, you were running it when we met at eHarmony, but you were kind of like, oh, God, I haven't, you know, I'm, I haven't really had the time that I want to put into it. But, and recently yeah. you've kind of, it's kind of blossomed, really. But when did you actually start it? Well, I was, so basically I was working at Bauer um, as a movie reviewer and also on across a lot of magazines as a freelancer. And back then um, it was really interesting. I didn't know anybody. I hate you. You're like movie reviewer. That's kind of like dream job. Oh, I know. That was my first freelance job. I did it for two magazines for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, to, so most of my time was spent on my bum in a, darkened little theaterette around the city um, with, you know, Margaret and David and all the other sort of movie reviewers of the time, very prestigious. Um, but mine wasn't because I was doing it for like pop culture TV Week and NW magazine. Uh, but then I was sort of writing for magazines at the time and um, I was job sharing at TV Week with a couple of other journos. And so I, I didn't know them and they didn't know me. So I said, why don't you guys why don't we all get together and have dumplings? So we did. We all met up, having never met before, and went for dumplings and and just had a great time. And then we thought, let's do this again. So we kept doing it, kept doing it. And then other freelancers um, kept saying, oh, can we come along? And it just grew. I remember I was listening to a podcast you did with Beck Lambert and you were saying years ago, you didn't know anybody. You were just kind of this lone ranger. That was very much my experience too. Like this is 20 years ago. I knew no other freelancers. I was literally on my own in this wilderness. Everyone was in-house full-time, you know, so I kind of needed that little posse and I created it and we used to go for lunch and dinner and then it grew and it grew and grew and grew until there was about 800 freelancers on this list. Ah, so it literally was a list. Oh, this is cool. It was a list and it was very underground. It was called Rachel's List and editors knew about it and people knew about it and it was obviously free to join. People would email me and I'd make sure that they were, you know, actually working in the industry and they'd go on the list and then editors would say, here's a job for you, can you put it out to your list? And so they would find someone within hours or minutes even. And then it got so big that Outlook was saying that you can't send this email because it's going to eight, 900 people. So I had to split every email into two and send them separately. It was such a pain in the ass. And I thought, oh, what do I do? You know, I'm at the crossroads. Do I try and put it online and create a website or do I, you know, do I not do it anymore? And that really wasn't an option. So I joined up with Leo Wiles, who's a journo photographer in, and she lives in Queensland now. So we operate very remotely, but we put it online and we monetized it, the jobs and everything. It was still free for the job seekers for a while, but then we eventually had to, you know, create a paywall and the rest is history. Yeah. So funny. And it's, it's similar to my story with the clever copywriting school, which started as a little Google group and then yeah. doing it and doing it and going, this is great. And I love it. And I love being a nice person, but an awful lot of my time and maybe yeah. earning some money maybe that maybe I should try to pay my mortgage uh, yeah. 
Yes. Uh, but anyway, super successful site. Um, a lot of my members are members of your community and members of Beck, who runs the freelance uh, jungle. And it's a great source of jobs for people. Little, you do get quite a lot of copywriting jobs. Um, we get a lot of copywriting jobs. But you also, you get magazine jobs as well, which is, you know, more kind of editorial style jobs. Um, and kind of that's what we want to talk about today. I mean, we could talk about so many things, but, um, you know, you are a bit of a doyen of the whole, you know... <laughs> I don't really know what a doyen is. Me either. What is a doyen? Like a doily, I think. I don't know. I was going to say maven, but I'm not sure what that is either. Move on. Guru. (laughs) Did you just call yourself a guru? No, I take that back. (laughs) I'm going to put that at the beginning of the episode now. Imagine you're me, which would be a horrible and terrifying thing I can But, you know, I, it's still my dream, Rachel. Can you make my dream come true? I would love to write an article for a magazine and see it in print. I mean, I've been printed everywhere online and it just doesn't seem to get in. But if I could pick up a magazine and, and, and touch the paper and smell it and see my <laughs> face or my name, it would make me so happy. So if I wanted to get a story published in a magazine, where do I start? What's the first step that you do? Well... It is very thrilling, I will admit. Even after all the years of being published in magazines, it's very thrilling, isn't it, to pick up a real, you know, the paper and all of that and see your byline and all of that. So I think obviously you would know this. You start with a great idea and it has to be a great idea. Bugger. Hmm? Bugger. (laughs) You haven't got any great ideas? (laughs) Well, you you might need to do that. Do that first. Come up with a great idea. Then you want to basically think about where can I place this idea? And so this is where the legwork comes in. If you don't know magazines, you don't know where to place it, that's where you have to do your research. And I'm not talking about just looking at the current issue, although that can work as well. You really need to go back and you need to look at back issues. You need to get a feel for what they publish, uh, the type of sections that they have in the magazine. Um, the type of stories, the length, um, do they use experts? What kind of experts are they? Are they credible? Are they Mickey Mouse experts? No, definitely, usually credible. Um, do they use case studies? Do they have breakout boxes? All of that sort of stuff. You want to sort of absorb that and really get to know who you're pitching to. Um, and then you want to write a fantastic pitch that the editor can't say no to, basically. So if they're on the idea that you kind of need to research for publication, I'm sort of thinking, therefore, that probably good to maybe pick two or three max publications that are like your dream publications that you want to get in and kind of really understand the format yes. so that it matches what they, rather than just kind of, you know, like, rather than picking thousands and thousands, just hone in on two or three and just keep going with those? Or what would you, what do you think? Absolutely. Like you don't want to obviously have a scattergun approach because that is just going to waste your time. Um, so, yeah, it is really getting to know that. So say it's a travel story. You might say, well, I've been to Morocco and I think that that would be a great fit for international traveller. It'd be a great fit for the escape section in the Sunday telly. It'd be a great fit for... Um, Delicious because I interviewed a great chef there or something like that. So you think about where you could place that and then you would research the heck out of those three outlets. And then, um, you know, you you would just write your pitch, um, put your pitch together. Yeah. Uh, so um, talking about the pitch, well, before we even get to the pitch, who do you – no, we'll do the pitch first. Come on, Kate. <laughs> it's been a long day, man. It's been a long month. 
a long year um and it's only april so let's talk about that pitch email you mm-hmm. know from the subject line to the body to the opener to the body what sort of things should you be including you know should the subject line be like pitch idea or something like that or how does it work yeah look i think um you know everybody always asks this question what is the perfect pitch um how can you write a pitch that you know is going to get the green light okay so that's obviously it's the million dollar question isn't it because every editor wants to be pitched differently mm-hmm. and the more that you get to know editors and they get to know you Um, the more you can basically send a one-liner saying, would you like a story about a three-legged dog? Any interest? And they'll say yes and and commission it immediately based on your (laughs) one-liner. When you're starting out, obviously you have to do a lot more to get those pitches over the line. So, yeah, first thing that you want to do is have story pitch. I usually do it in capitals um, in the subject line and then you want the headline. Now, I would really think about that headline, spend a lot of time on that headline. And a good way to think about it is think in terms of cover lines. So the magazine that you're pitching to, say it's delicious, what kind of cover lines do they have on their cover? You know, what wording are they using? You know, how, how long or short are their cover lines? You know, and you try to sort of emulate that with your cover line. Um, so you're essentially doing the work of an editor or a sub-editor and making it easy for them because they can immediately picture that article in their magazine. Um, then you would go into the actual pitch. Um, and if you didn't know the editor, see, there's so many ways to go about that pitch blurb. Um, I remember the very first article, I think I might've been about 26 or 27, the very first article I ever got a cover for, which was Body and Soul. And it was um, an article called Mind Matters. And it was all about overthinking, funnily enough, which is basically my life. Um, and I, the, the paragraph of the article, the, the very first paragraph of that article was my pitch. So I literally just said, I think Kelly Baker was the editor at the time. Hi, Kelly. I wrote the paragraph um, exactly as it appeared in the article. And then I said, any interest in this story? She bought it immediately and, you know, and then it became the cover of the next Body and Soul supplement. So you can do that. You can sort of start a pitch as a conversation where you're discussing something, an experience, um, you know, something that's really highly topical. And that can be a really great way to engage the editor and get their attention immediately. Or you can say, um, hi, you know, I'm Rachel Smith. I'm a journalist of 20 years, have written for blah, 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 blah. Um, Any interest in this story? Have your pitch headline again and your little blurb. And you... If you don't know the editor, I would definitely include things like current stats of the story. If you if you um, are hanging it off a stat or a recent study, um, experts that you um, would like to interview, any case studies that you are considering including, um, why would their audience be interested in it? Is it new? Is it exciting? Why is it perfect for their magazine? And you want to somehow wrap all that up in a really succinct, well written package that tells the editor, hey this person can write. I can actually visualise this story in my magazine and, uh, yeah, I I think I can go for that. So I think the mistakes that you can make in your pitch is flipping that paragraph with the blurb about yourself, basically introducing yourself in a big blah, 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 and here's, you know, who I am and who I've written for and I've done this and I've done that and then here's my pitch three paragraphs down. Don't do that. Start with the pitch. Then you can do a short blurb afterwards, um, just introducing yourself and maybe including a couple of links that are relevant to similar stories that you've done. Yeah. 
That, that was gold. There we go. We finished the podcast right there. No, we can't. There's more questions, I'm afraid. So the next question I would have on that is, would I, and I think probably this comes down to experience and time, uh, do you write first or pitch first? Um, I'm guessing if you're rather inexperienced, maybe you want to get the article like kind of fully realized in your head or written down so that you're confident about it before you start pitching it out. But if you're more experienced, you can just literally, as you said, go, here's an article about a three-legged dog with a few kind of bullets and you have the confidence that you could write that. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, do you, what, what would you recommend to, to a newbie, I guess? I would never write the story first. Okay, okay. There's only one exception to that, though, and that is um, travel writing. Oh, okay. And and the reason I say, and also even in that perspective, I wouldn't say do it either. I, I think that there are times when it works better with travel writing. When I used to do a lot of travel writing, I would have a rough story written and I would send pics and the and the sometimes they would say I want to see the story and pics especially if they didn't know you and then you could sell it based on that and the photos so I sold when I was travel writing a lot of travel articles that I'd written on the plane on the way home tidied them up and sent the pics as well at the same time but now I think um I would always just still try and sell the idea and also in travel writing you have to sell the idea before you go on the trip if you're on a famil Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you cannot get on those for meals um, unless you have a commission from yeah. an editor. So, so that's kind of a different kettle of fish. But what you were asking is, um, if you are just pitching to an, any other magazine, like again, um, like Women's Day or Delicious or you know Women's Fitness or something like that, would you write it first and send it? No, do not do that. Because say that you have a really shit hot idea and you send it to the editor. Um, and they think, I love that idea, but I actually would prefer it slightly this way, or I just might tweak the angle a little bit, or maybe I'll take the nugget of that idea and, and I'll flip it. And maybe you could do it this way and get like, start it with a case study or something. If you go ahead and write it, you're making it so much harder for the editor to tweak it at the concept, the conceptual stage, I guess. That's a hard word, isn't it? Um, and they can sort of, and editors, you know, they might want to play around with it and then give it back to you. So it's much better to sell the idea first. I guess, you know, the cause, the worry that people might have is, number one, if you write the article and send it, they could say, they could steal it, I guess. And I know this sounds, because obviously all editors are ethical, but also what if you send a really good idea and they say no, but then they like go, actually, I like that idea, but I'd rather have Rachel write it than Kate Toon because who the hell's Kate Toon? Does that happen? I mean, that would be my worry that you come up with the three-legged dog, which is a brilliant idea, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to pitch that. You can't. Have- <laughs> um, you can have that. I'm giving you the three-legged dog. Um, yeah, but what if I pitch it and then a week later there's an article written by Rachel Smith, Rachel Smith about three-legged dog? You know, what would you do then? Mm. Mm. Look, yeah, this is this is a really tricky one. Um, I'm so happy that you asked me this question. Not because <laughs> <laughs> she has to be dead diplomatic. <laughs> look, I think it, it probably look. I, I can probably answer it for you. Some sometimes it doesn't. Most times it doesn't. Or evil. I think most editors are ethical, and I don't think it happens a lot. But the other, the flip side to that is, you know, they say that there isn't really an original idea. So a lot of editors and their writing teams might already have a nugget of that idea that they're already working on. So it seems like it got nicked, but actually they were working on it two months ago. And, you know, it... Especially the pop culture article, because, you know, I've written articles myself and put them live and then the next day seeing like another 
publication puts something so similar live and it's like mm. it's not that they've copied you it's that that's kind of on vogue at the moment or everyone's yeah. thinking about that do you know yeah. you're not the first person to think that to write you know how to how to work at home during COVID-19 like yeah. oh, <laughs> it's so true yeah yeah so it, it, yeah it's it's a hard one but I think it happens but not not as much as we think it does yeah um, and shouldn't be a reason to put you off doing it. Obviously, the fear shouldn't no. be that. So um, the next question I would have is, okay, I've, I've written my amazing pitch about the three-legged dog, um, and who do I send it to? Do I just look in the magazine and, and send it to, like, editor at, you know, dogweekly.com, or what? who do I send it to? Well, obviously, this is where you want to actually have done your legwork and have a photo on your phone of the masthead of the magazine, which is the little strip with all the, you know, names of everyone on the sections and everything. And often those mastheads will just have a one generic email like editorial at dog, three-legged-dog-magazine.com. And you think, okay, or it might be, I know the big issue, I was just talking to the big issue yesterday, and theirs is submissions at thebigissue.com.au. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to send my awesome idea to submissions at anywhere because you automatically think this is going to go into a black hole. No one's going to see my idea and and how will I even know that anyone's even got it? No. So the best thing to do is when you're doing your legwork, think where is that story going to fit? Is it going to fit in, you know, um, a, a personal column section that people, you know, write in about their dogs. Yep, it'll fit in there. And who looks after that? Oh, it's, you know, Sally, blah, blah, in, and she's in the masthead. But you don't have an email address for Sally. So what do you do? And this is where you have to use a tool like, um, have you used Hunter.io? Yeah. So Hunter is really handy because you just put the domain in of the magazine um, and it will pop up with the email addresses of the people who work there, hopefully. And if it doesn't pop up with Sally's email, you should be able to make an educated guess about her email based on the other emails of the other staff. Yeah. yeah. The first name, second name thing or first initial thing. Yeah. Or you'll work it out. Yeah. yeah. So try and send it to a real, real human. Um, yeah, the next idea, I've written my three leg. I'm going to, the three legged dog thing, I should let it go, but I can't. Um, I've got my pitch. Mm-hmm. I've sent it to Sally. Can I send it to Bob and Rita as well and Sue or do I have to wait until Sally gets back to me? Are, are they on the same magazine or separate? Okay. So all so four different magazines? Yeah, there's four. There's a lot of three-legged dog magazines. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is another sort of million-dollar question because um, everybody wants to do that. It's called simultaneous submissions. You think, oh, well, I'm just going to do, again, that scattergun approach, send it to all these magazines. Hopefully one of them will buy it and happy days. So, and even I think um, Lindy Alexander wrote something in her blog about it recently in the freelancer's year. And she interviewed a guy from the US who said that was his whole, um, you know, secret to success is that simultaneous submissions. But I think if you're in a massive market like the US, maybe it does work for you. But in a small pond like Australia, I think it is a one-way ticket to getting on an editor's blacklist, basically. Because what do you do if then, you know, Sue says yes and then a week later Sally comes back and says yes and you have to go, I'm sorry, I thought it's Sue. Well, then Sally's going to be a little bit offside because she was excited. Next time you send it to Sally, she might be like, 
What have you sent this to Sue? Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, actually, you're, you're screwed, aren't you? Because both of them are going to be annoyed with you, and you're somehow going to have to. I mean, nothing, nothing says special like a like an email saying, "Here's a great idea," but I've sent it to three other editors as well. Definitely <laughs> left Sally's name in Sue's one and whatever. And also, Sally and Sue probably go for dumplings together. If we're honest, right? Yeah, yeah. small, small world, small dumpling pool out there. <laughs> um, okay, so we've only sent it to Sally. Mm-hmm. Um, how long do we wait and do we follow up? You absolutely have to follow up. Like anything, I think editors get so many emails, they might get 400 a day or something. So everything can get lost in the ether. And when do you follow up? I guess if it's really topical, it's like a PR thing and it's really time sensitive, you would follow up literally immediately, like the next day or two to three days later. But if it's not that time sensitive, I would follow up a week later. Um, and I would just be saying in your subject line, quick follow up. Um, hi editor, just following up on my pitch from last Friday. would love to hear if there's any interest. And what I would do is I'd actually find the email in your sent emails and forward that with your follow-up blurb at the top of that one so they don't have to go hunting for your pitch. Like everything that you want to do when you are pitching an editor is make their life easier. And, yeah, so do that. And then if there's no reply to that, you would follow up again perhaps three to five days after that and you would say something like, hi, editor, just following up for the last time. Totally fine if you're not interested in my story on the three-legged dog, but if I don't hear from you tomorrow... I'll assume, I'll assume that I can shop it around. Okay. And that's a nice way of saying it's no longer yours to buy. I'm going to sell it. And then you send another one saying, F you, Sally. You <laughs> it. Never do anything again. So it's pretty much like copywriting. We do the follow-up, we do the other follow-up. You know, would you, in copywriting world, um, yeah. I would often recommend if you're, if you're keen and it's not too aggressive to maybe hop on the phone. Yeah. Like, hey, Bob, you know, I sent you my quote, haven't heard back from you. I just, you know, even if you get that message back, just go, I just want to make sure the email got through. Because yeah. that's a silly thing, but, you know, I, I do a lot of email marketing stuff and people think email deliverability is just a thing. Like, you send an email and it gets to its destination. Yeah. emails do not get to the destination. So yeah. I quick, would, you, would, would, would that be too aggressive to do a follow-up call? No, I don't think so. I just think the reason I... The reason I would hesitate is because um, nine times out of ten you're going to get voicemail with editors. Yeah. So yeah. you could leave a message, but then if you're following up and leaving messages, you start to look like a stalker. It's at what stage do you come oh. across that line into stalking? Yeah. So <laughs> would you turn up and sort of press your breasts against the the window? <laughs> you could. That could be your final your final gambit. <laughs> Be the start gambit for me. <laughs> I told you, article written. <laughs> it's a bit different to, as you said, features editor, lots of pictures every day, working with a copywriting client. Maybe they've briefed out to three copywriters and you're one of three. You're not going to be one of hundreds. So it's, you know, it's a different follow up process. So that's good to know. Um, okay, so what, I'm going to be really honest now. One of the main reasons I never really pursued magazine, copy, uh, magazine writing is because I like earning money. copywriters seem to be paid exponentially more than magazine writers so give me yeah you don't need to tell me the exact rates for you know every publication that you write for but you know what is a broad range and where does it start out and and how how high can it go I guess in terms of each article 
Yeah, I mean, it varies so much, doesn't it? Like we know as copywriters as well that you do get such, you know, varied rates across the board. Same with content writing. You might be doing a piece of content and be paid 300 for it and then another piece that you get paid 800 for. And, um, yeah, it really, it really depends on the size of the mag, their budget, how many people they've got on staff and that sort of thing. So much goes into it. But I think it, once you get... Um, once you get rolling with your business and you start to make money, I think you need to set yourself a rate that you will not go below. Otherwise, you know, you kind of fall into that pit of utter resentment and hate what you're doing, which is the case across any kind of creative industry when you're taking far less than you're worth. Um, but yeah, I think I've seen rates starting out, um, that can be, well, terrible, obviously from five cents a word. Um, in some Australian mags, I've seen 20 cents a word or 30 cents a word. I think that the, you know, average is probably 50 to 70 cents a word, but it can go up to 80 to 90. Some is dollar a word. It's funny though, rates have gone down, which is so sad when you think about it, because when I was starting out, pretty much everything I did was a dollar a word. It was just like the salad days of magazines. So yeah. And I think it's, it's also about perceived value. You know, one of the things we teach in the clever copywriting school is that lots of copywriters think the entry point to copywriting is blog writing. But yeah. blog writing is one of the lowest paying forms of copywriting because it has a very low perceived value. Whereas if you can write lead generation pieces and sales funnels and sales mm. pages and video scripts, yeah. you, you know, exactly the same amount of work and get paid so much more. Um, That's it- right. Oh, I just do want to say though, like in terms of magazines, a lot of people will obviously gravitate towards those very well-known titles and sometimes those titles pay less you know than say trade magazines so don't discount that there are loads of opportunities out there um, across print and some of those trade mags that not many people know about or don't know as well can be stepping stones to those more prestigious titles so and some of them pay a lot more some of some trade mags pay well the same with um you know with copywriting you know that the you'd think that the big brands pay better, but the big brands know that every copywriter wants that brand on their website. So sometimes they don't pay as well. So it's all, it's all interesting. I have, I mean, in over recent years is, is kind of, I've done a few more things. I have been approached by a few magazines and said, would you write an article on this? Maybe a blog I've written, they've read it and gone, would you write an article on it? And I've said, cool, sure. How much, how much are you paying? And they're like $150. And I'm mm. like, what? Like what? Like, you, you want me to write an 800-word piece? Where I'm, what? Like, is that a thing? Um, and some of the more digital magazines, we shall not mention them, you know, it's like 40 bucks for an article. Well, not, no payment at all and just exposure dollars. So I guess, mm. and the unfortunate thing is, as with copywriting, graphic design, web design, there's always, unfortunately, someone who's probably going to be willing to do that. Yeah. And hard, doesn't it? So anyway, rates are a tough one. In yes. yes. But, oh, but don't discount the fact that you can ask for more money, you know, like you can with copywriting, you can set your, you can quote what you think the project is worth. And, you know, you can do that as well. And especially the more experienced you get, you can say, oh, I see your rate is 55 cents a word. Is there any room to move all that? Or I, I see your rate is 55 cents a word. I usually get paid 75 cents a word. Can we meet in the middle somewhere? Yeah, it's and, a negotiation. Yeah. I said, oh, I can't do it for that. And they offered me double and I said, I still can't do it for that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a lazy cow and I didn't really want to write it. Anyway, moving on, uh, talking of fees and rates, um, 
what is a kill fee and how do you ask for one? See, I don't even know what this is. This is a question submitted by one of our members, Amanda Van Elderen. I think she ah, Hello, Amanda. Um, I don't know what it means. What does it mean? So a kill fee um, is basically you are commissioned to write a piece, you write the piece, and then um, for whatever reason it's no longer appropriate to publish it or they decide they don't want it or the magazine goes in a different direction um, but they've still got this piece and it's like, what do I do? So often you'll be offered a kill fee, which is usually 50% of the original fee. Um, and it, like, so they've said you're going to get 200 bucks, you write it, they change their mind and say, we're going to give you a hundred bucks and we're going to kill it. Does yeah. that mean use it somewhere else? I, I think it's murky. Sometimes the editor will say to you, you know, this is, you can, you're free to go and place this elsewhere or they might it might continue to be their copyright. So definitely ask. That might also be on a contract that they give you. Um, but sadly, we're seeing a lot of that at the moment because what happened with COVID is so many people had pieces commissioned and they'd written them and filed them. And then all the magazines and digital outlets had a brain fart and went, we can only do COVID content now. So all those pieces became kill fee pieces. And yeah, so it's, it's a tricky one. It is, and I saw that you'd sent very kindly um, a Google Doc with a list of Aussie publications still commissioning, so we'll share that in the show notes because I thought it was a very generous thing to do. Um, okay, so I'm, I've written my article, it's all good. I know right now that no one's going to publish my article on a three-legged dog. How <laughs> am I going to handle the rejection, Rachel? <laughs> Just go to bed with a bottle of wine and put the doona over your head. And cry! <laughs> No, I don't know. You know what? I'm so used to rejection now. I'm just, it just doesn't like, even, it doesn't even like affect me anymore. I really, I'm so used to it. And this is, this is the thing, like we've got um, at Rachel's List, we've got a pitch tracker, which is like a way to measure and track your pitches, right? And I actually started it because I was so haphazard. I kept everything in my head and I, you know, didn't remember who I'd pitch from that day to the next and then rejections would come in. It was so depressing. But a lot of those ideas can be re-nosed and sent out again. So you might think, well, that person didn't want it and it's their loss, but so-and-so might want it. And, and if you have a system for tracking those pitches and for constantly like recycling ideas that didn't get through the first time, you might find a home for them the next time or the third time you send it out. So it's really important to kind of establish some kind of measuring system for your pitch efforts. Otherwise, all your work and just dribbles off into the ether and, you know, yeah. Same. We have a, a whip tracker, work in progress tracker, and it has, you know, did you win it? But then also, you know, some kind of acknowledgement of what you think you did well and what you didn't do well. Because often yeah. it's like, okay, well, maybe the pitch wasn't quite right. Maybe the article wasn't like, you know, trying to kind of ascertain. And again, with copywriting, sometimes you can reach out to the client and go, look, you know, I, I was very sad not to get the job, totally understand. Can you give me a little bit of feedback on, on why I didn't? And often they will tell you. Yeah. Often they come back and say, ah, actually, I got my wife to write it. Or actually, it was taken in-house. Or Bob in accounts had a sister who's a copywriter. And you're like, okay, it's nothing to do with me. And I think that's the other thing that's a bit different with editorial writing and copywriting. I don't I have never particularly got attached to the writing that I do as a copywriter because, you know, I'm writing about pipes. 
You know, I'm not, I'm not writing my novel. Whereas when you're writing a travel story about an experience that you had, that's your story, you know, you know, maybe not like for fire and hose monthly and you're writing about, you know, the latest pipe or whatever. But if you're writing something that's quite personal to you, it kind of feel like you're selling a little bit of yourself. And that's why the rejection hurts a little bit more than I think maybe it does with copywriting. I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's something as well that is very difficult um, for authors as well. You know, pitching, having worked so hard on a book, for example, and it sending it to all the agents or all the publishers and having it rejected like that is, I've seen so many of my author friends go through that. And that is very difficult. With an article, there's always going to be a, hopefully a home for it somewhere. So if you're onto it and you're proactive about re-nosing it and getting that feedback from editors. So always take that if you get it, put it in your tracker or your system, always note the feedback about that pitch so that you can look at any potential issues with it and re-angle it somehow and send it out again. Like don't let it go, you know, because if you think it's a good idea and you think there's a home for it, there probably is. And, and one thing I would say for that, because as somebody who has pitched books and, and been rejected, I was at, at Pam McMillan a couple of months ago with my recent book idea. And, you know, my first book got rejected. And so I then thought, well, I do think this has value and worth. I'm going to self-publish it. And when I went to Pam McMillan, she said, oh, cool. How did that go? How did many of you sold? And I said, 6,000. And she said, that's considered a bestseller in Australia. And I was like, what? It is. It's like, if your article doesn't get published, put it on your own site, your building portfolio, it becomes a sample. And over time, you know, you've mentioned Lindy Alexander, for example, who's got an amazing website full of just the best articles. And that is her portfolio, which is just going to speak so so many volumes. So many volumes? It's going to speak volumes. (laughs) Anyway, that's all my questions. Um, I guess if you've got if you've got one final tip for listeners, if you know, off, really for me, um, you know, like in terms of getting started with all of this and giving it a pop, is now a good time? Should we wait a while? No, like I think obviously, yeah, everything is kind of going to hell in a handbasket right now, isn't it? And it's and it's probably natural to think this is not the time to do anything. But I actually think it is the time, you know, that pitching document document that you mentioned that we started, um, if you actually look at that, there are more magazines accepting pitches than there are with a commissioning freeze on, which is very heartening, I have to say. And I look down that list and think, wow, you know, there are some titles on here that I wouldn't have even considered pitching myself, but maybe I should. And so I think that there's always, I'm a very optimistic person anyway. And I kind of think that there's always hope. There's always going to be people out there who want good writing and good content and there's room for everybody. So I think if you've got good ideas and you can present them in a good way and you are a good communicator, which is important when communicating with editors, um, you should definitely do it. Good. Well, that's lovely to hear. I feel like I've got a two or three more years of being a serious business person and then this is something I would love to pursue in my dotage, my old age. That sounds like you're putting it off to me. I think you should be pursuing it now. I have to scratch myself, but I will. Maybe I will. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll give it a pop. Um, okay, thank you so much, Rachel, and I will uh, include links to all Rachel's bits and bobs, her own website, Rachel's List, that, um, and also her fabulous podcast, which is called uh, Content Bites. And we are going to be recording an episode of that together straight after this. So I better hurry up and do the outro. So here we go. That's right. You better go fix your um, fix your lipstick. Oh, yes, because I've got so much on. Let me, <laughs> let me 
be quiet now, Rachel, while I awkwardly do the outro and you listen. Okay. Regular listeners to the show will know at this time is when we read out a review of the show. But you know what? We've run out. We had like about 100 testimonials and we're up to episode 100 and whatever. So we don't have any testimonials. So if you would like to leave one, now is a wonderful time. But also, thank you for just listening. If you like the show, as I said, leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you found us. And of course, head to Hot copypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode and check out all those links to Rachel's glorious bits and bobs. So thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you, Kate. It has been such an honour being on the Hot Copy Podcast. I'm a massive fan, so I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's like having a celeb. Okay, until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.